Hey everybody and welcome into episode 12 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Thank you so much for all of your support too on the Jake's Take podcast page on Facebook. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. Tell them to click the like button. Thank you so much for all your support. I already have 80 followers, 80, and I just created the page last week. So thank you so much for all of your support. Have a couple guests in mind that I would love to get on the show. Johnny Glow, the midseason report card. Eric Kotz, great friend of mine, great supporter of the show. Big, big NASCAR fan. We go way, way back. And of course, another great friend of ours, Jason Boone. You know, Jason, he's always asking me who to bet on for these races. So I would love to have these those guys on at some point or another. So thank you once again for all your support. Lots to cover on tonight's show. Tomorrow is the last midweek race of 2020 for the NASCAR Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. So obviously I'm going to be talking about that. Going to be talking about some rule changes that have, that have come about over the past 48 hours. Some silly season talk. What driver is going where in 2021. And of course a recap of Sunday's race at Texas Motor Speedway. But before I get into all that, obviously the biggest news of all. So, when NASCAR resumed May 17th at Darlington Raceway, we all know that with the exception of the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Memorial Day weekend, we know that every single race with the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, the starting lineup has been determined by a random draw. And the Cup Series especially, as we all know, it's divided up into groups, first through 12th in owner points, then 13th through 24th, 25th through 36th, and then 37th to 40th. The cars that don't have a charter fall back on. That is the way that the starting lineup has been determined for these past two months. So on Monday, there was some talk with the playoffs starting September 6th, the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway, And with the fact that the Cup Series, that their playoff field is 16 drivers. There was a lot of talk on Monday. The NASCAR said once the playoffs start, if they were going to continue doing these random draws, that obviously they would expand that field from the top 12 in owner points to obviously the top 16 in owner points. Now, late yesterday afternoon, NASCAR did come out with some big, big news. And that big news is that for the remainder of 2020, the NASCAR Cup Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and the Gander Outdoors Truck Series, the top three divisions of NASCAR, for the remainder of 2020, there will be no practice and no qualifying. Random draws the rest of the year. Now, for a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of drivers, crew chiefs, a lot of people like this move. Brad Keselowski and Jeremy Bolins, they were one of the first to come out and say, hey, this is fine with us. We like it. Obviously, it's worked for us all year long. So be it. A lot of fans, they're excited about it, and there's also some detractors to it, like Bob Pachris from Fox Sports. The way I look at it, I like this with two exceptions. I like having no practice, no qualifying. I think it's made for better racing this year. You Obviously, you don't have the same suspects at the front of the field. I mean, you still do, obviously, with Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski. But look at Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch said after the Saturday race of Pocono just a couple weeks ago, 
he feels like the reason that they're struggling, the reason that they're winless, don't have a single playoff point in the bank, he feels like the reason is because of no practice and qualifying. And it's like my former co-host Dale Kivler said on an episode of The Average Joe's, Dale said the lack of practice and qualifying, it's definitely even the playing field when you look at how much Kyle Busch has struggled. When you look at rookies like John Hunter Nemechek, Tyler Reddick, when you look at the amazing seasons that they have had so far, especially in that type of equipment. So that's what I like about it. But what I don't like about it, the two exceptions are the Daytona Road Course on August 16th. You've got to be kidding me that you are not going to have at least a practice session for that. You had a practice session at the Indianapolis Road Course for the Xfinity race there on the 4th of July. You had a practice session for that, but you're not going to have a practice session for a a racetrack that I would say probably 30-some drivers out of the 40 that are going to be in that race, probably I would say maybe 32, 33 of them, they have no experience on the Daytona Road Course whatsoever. The only drivers that come to mind for me that have taken part in a race on the Daytona road course, especially with the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona. The only names that come to mind are Kurt and Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, but Kevin Harvick, he ran the 24 hours of Daytona all the way back in 2002, 2002. Martin Trex Jr. He ran an IROC race there on his birthday in 2006. Another one that comes to mind is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson ran the 24 hours of Daytona a lot. From the mid-2000s to the early part of 2010, 2011. Those are some of the guys that, that have experience. Matt Kenseth was another one. Matt Kenseth and Kurt Busch. They ran the 2005 24 Hours of Daytona together. Those are the only guys that I could think of that have any experience on this road course. This has disaster written all over it. Seriously. You know, you're on the front stretch of Daytona. You're going through the tri-oval. And then you're going to be turning, making a hard left, heavy, heavy braking, going down into the infield, past the exit of pit road. You're going to be going through the infield, pop back up onto the banking in between turns one and two. Then you have the chicane in the middle of the back straightaway. I'm telling you, folks, turn one, lap one. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I would not be surprised if, there, if there's some carnage in that race come August 16th. And the other exception to this is November 8th, the championship race at Phoenix. Now, the way I look at it is ever since we returned May 17th, Darlington, South Carolina, think about this for a second. Who has the most wins ever since we returned at Darlington? Kevin Harvick. Kevin won that first race, the very first race back at Darlington. He crushed the field at Atlanta. June 7th. He finally won at Pocono towards the end of June, and then one weekend later, winning the Brickyard 400 for the second year in a row. So obviously, Kevin Harvick, Rodney Childers, the four team, I'm not taking anything away from them. In my opinion, they are the class of the field, as they have been for a majority of the six years that they have been together at Stuart Haas Racing. But my point is, to me, we're going to Phoenix. That's where the championship race is. That is Kevin Harvick's best racetrack. Nine wins at Phoenix in the Cup Series from April of 2006 to March of 2018. Nobody has dominated at Phoenix like Kevin Harvick, whether it was driving for Richard Childress in those Chevrolets, whether he had Todd Barrier 
Gil Martin. It didn't matter whether it was with Stuart Haas when they had the alliance with Hendrick or, sure enough, building their own cars with, with Ford and getting their engines from Roush Yates, him and Rodney Childers. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what configuration. Phoenix has had three different configurations throughout Kevin Harvick's career, and he's won on all three of them. I mean, Phoenix was basically his Daytona 500 being from Bakersfield, California, when he was coming up through the ranks. I feel like I picked Kevin Harvick to win the championship just a couple weeks ago. I'm I'm taking it to the bank now, seriously. No practice or qualifying at Phoenix. I feel like that's definitely going to play into his wheelhouse. I think it's safe to say no matter who is the rest of the championship for, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, whoever the Eric Almirola, whoever the rest of that championship for is, I think it's safe to say that this is Kevin Harvick's championship to lose. So, like I said, I like having no practice or qualifying, but for those two races, I feel like NASCAR should have made an exception. So this past Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway, for the second week in a row, we had a surprise winner, a winner that was out of the playoffs going into the day. And who would have imagined that a Chevrolet would win at Texas Motor Speedway? Obviously, if we were having this discussion 15, 16, 17 years ago, you'd expect the Chevrolet to be in victory lane just about every other weekend. But... A Chevrolet in victory lane, you'd think maybe Chase Elliott, maybe Kurt Busch, maybe Alex Bowman, you know, when they're on their game. Who would have imagined that Austin Dillon would have won this past Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway? And who would, I mean, I don't think it was a surprise that Tyler Reddick finished second, a career best second on Sunday. That wasn't a surprise at all the amazing rookie season that he is having. But my point is, Richard Childress Racing as a whole, who would have expected them at the beginning of that day to have a 1-2 finish? 1-2. Everyone knows how critical I've been of RCR. I've said, you know, Dale Earnhardt made them look great. They haven't been a, a great team since Kevin Harvick left at the end of 2013. This was only their fourth win after Kevin Harvick left for Stuart Haas Racing. And Richard Childress Racing had a horrible, horrible year last year. Austin Dillon didn't have a single top five finish to his name. Daniel Hemrick, who was in the eight car, Daniel had one top five finish, and that was a fifth at Talladega, where pretty much anything could happen, as we all know. Now, with Austin Dillon, obviously, of course, the big elephant in the room is the number, the number three. And, of course, the paint scheme, the Bass Pro Shops paint scheme, it is painted up just like Daniel Earnhardt's Black and Silver, GM Gooder, and Chevrolet. So, obviously, the way I look at it is Martha Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s mother, she was told back in 2001 that there would never be another three out on the racetrack, and she didn't want the car to be painted up like Dale's. I rest my case on that. I totally understand where she's coming from, and I feel the exact same way that she does. But my point is, with Austin Dillon, this was only the third win of his career, 2017 Coke 600, Jimmy Johnson runs out of gas with two laps to go. 2018 Daytona 500, turning Eric Almirola head on into the wall on the back straightaway, the final lap. So up until Sunday, those two wins by Austin Dillon, he had only led a grand total of three laps. Here he led the final 22 laps. I mean, it came down to pit strategy. Austin did have a good car, but it was mainly a top 10 car. 
And if it wasn't for Justin Alexander, right before that last pit stop saying, you know, hey, let's take two left side tires, you've been fast on two left side tires all day. We all know with this 550 horsepower package, it's not about the tires, how many you take, it's all about that track position. That's just another example of it. Seriously, like I said, Austin Dillon at best probably had maybe about an eighth place car on Sunday. But just having that track position, him and Tyler Reddick, Tyler Reddick taking just gas on that final pit stop, that made the difference in the end. Even before that last restart, with them restarting 1-2 in the row behind them, Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, I thought, oh, Kyle and Joey, they're going to eat those two cars up quick, quick. This is going to be a piece of cake. I cannot believe how RCR was able to hold them off on multiple restarts towards the end of that race. And I think the biggest factor is, for Austin Dillon, it's Justin Alexander. As we all know, Austin Dillon, he inherited Kevin Harvick's team in 2014, Gil Martin, that whole group. Gil only lasted a season and a half. Then he had Slugger Labby. As we all know, two Daytona 500s with Michael Waltrip, the 2011 Brickyard 400 with Paul Menard. And after a while, Slugger got tired of having to put up with, with Austin's attitude. And then wouldn't you know it, the very first race after they replaced Slugger Labby, Austin Dillon and Justin Alexander, that was their first race together, the Coca-Cola 600, and they won on fuel mileage. And I feel like they have been a great combination, those two. You know, as we all know, Austin, he's very emotional. He's very animated. Justin, he's very cool, calm, and collective, very laid back. So obviously, when you have one driver that's emotional, a crew chief that's laid back, or a driver that's laid back and a crew chief that's emotional, honestly, like they say, opposites attract. And I think that's just the latest example of it. But Austin Dillon made a big mistake at the end of 2018. He thought, you know what? I mean, we did great. We won two of the biggest races, but... I want to work with Danny Stockman. Danny was his crew chief when they won the 2011 truck title together. They won the 2013 nationwide championship together. And that was a disaster. They were great on qualifying. They could win polls, qualify in the top five. But when that race came along, they would drop like a rock. And Austin learned the hard way, not having a single top five last year. And Richard Childress, his grandfather, he told him, hey, let's Let's get you and Justin Alexander back together. I know what you two are capable of. And sure enough, look at that. It's just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his cousin Tony Uri Jr. You know, he made that mistake at the end of 2004. You know, he let his stepmother Teresa split up that powerful duo. Him, his uncle Tony Uri Sr., his cousin Tony Uri Jr. When you know at 2005, that was the first terrible season of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s career. He was reunited with Tony Uri Jr. in 2006. They went back to victory lane. They almost won the championship that year. So it's all about that pairing. So well done for Richard Childress Racing. I got to give them credit on that. This is their first 1-2 finish since October of 2011 at Talladega Super Speedway when Clint Boyer beat Jeff Burton by inches at the last second. So looking at the rest of the top five on Sunday, Joey Logano, his first top five finish in a month. Paul Wolf did a hell of a job getting that car better as the race went on. Kyle Busch, the interesting interview that he had after the race. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And Kevin Harvick rounding out the top five in his 700th start. Looking at the rest of the top 10, Eric Jones' sixth. Six consecutive top 10 finishes at Texas Motor Speedway. My pick, Ryan Blaney, led 150 laps, dominated the first two stages, had to sell for seventh. 
Kurt Busch 8th, Brad Keselowski 9th once again. Him, Jeremy Bollins on the two crew getting a better finish than that car was capable of. And Eric Almirola, who started on the pole, he rounded out the top 10. Eric Almirola, as I expected, the beginning of that race, you know, he led the first 30-some laps. Mike Buggeravage, he makes the call to come down pit road. And just like Justin Alexander, or, or yeah, Justin Alexander, just like Justin Allgaier the day before, Eric pops up back on the racetrack way too soon, well before the blend line. So he got penalized for that blend line violation. And that explains why he finished 10th when realistically he could have easily finished in the top five, probably could have won the race. So I told you guys to look out for Jimmy Johnson. And sure enough, Jimmy was marching his way up through the field. He got up into the top 10 and then just out of nowhere, coming off a turn four, about 100 laps into the race, he hit the wall, hit it pretty good and had a ride around the rest of the day, finishing 12 laps down in 26. And, man, you know, Jimmy Johnson's farewell season, think about this for a second. It's like one of his fans mentioned on Twitter the other day. If Jimmy wasn't disqualified from that second-place finish in the Coca-Cola 600, if he didn't have to miss Indianapolis because of that that false positive for COVID-19, Jimmy would easily, easily be in the top 10 in points right now. He'd be well on his way to that final playoff berth of his career. But because of all of these unfortunate circumstances, whether it was being disqualified, whether it was because of the COVID test, whether it was because of him cutting across Brad Keselowski's front end at Kentucky, hitting the wall all by himself coming off a of turn four, if it wasn't for that, Jimmy would be well inside the top 10 of points. Right now, right now, he is only two points to the good. He holds the last playoff spot, two points ahead of his teammate, William Byron. Think about that for a second, folks. As of right now, William Byron would not make the playoffs. Jimmy Johnson would get in by two points. Hendrick Motorsports, like I said, you never know what to expect out of them. You know, one week they could have a bunch of cars in the top five. One of them, mainly Chase Elliott, ends up winning. Another week, just like this past Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway, nobody finishes in the top ten, and it is complete disaster. Chase Elliott failed inspection. He finished 12th. Jimmy Johnson wrecked. Alex Bowman got taken out by Denny Hamlin towards the end of the race. But even Alex Alex ran not even in the top 15 most of the day. And William Byron getting taken out by Ty Dillon and finishing 35th at a, one of his best racetracks. So definitely a tough, tough day on Sunday for Hendrick Motorsports. As I said, Ryan Blaney, he was my pick to win. His car looked absolutely incredible winning those first two stages in pretty convincing fashion, whether it was going up against his teammate Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, it didn't matter. At certain points in that race, Ryan Blaney had a four-second lead on the field. And once again, this is a pretty alarming stat to me. So I've always talked about NASCAR drivers and NFL quarterbacks. I've always made that analogy. That's what I think of. I think Chase Elliott is Dak Prescott. You know, you're you're popular. You're working for one of the most popular teams in the business. People expect you to win nonstop. I would say Brad Keselowski, he's like Russell Wilson. He won a championship early on in his career. He gets the most out of his team, but it's been a while since he was won that championship. Kevin Harvick, he's like Drew Brees. Both of them, they're like a fine wine. They, they're still competitive. They get better and better and better, and they're breaking records even in their 40s. When I look at Ryan Blaney, I would have to compare him to Kirk Cousins. The talent and the potential is there, but it just seems like 
whatever reason, whether it's something that happens out of his control, he has such a hard time closing races out. And Sunday was out of his control. But Rick Allen mentioned Ryan Blaney, seven times in his career, he has led at least 100 laps in a race. You wonder how many of those races he's won? Zero. That's like Kirk Cousins with Monday Night Football. You know, that was the one knock on Kirk Cousins before he beat Drew Brees in that playoff game. You know, Kirk Cousins, he's 0-7. He's 0-8 on Monday Night Football. So, like I said, I could see those comparisons. Ryan Blaney and Kirk Cousins, they're both great guys. It's just, you know, they have so much potential that they could live up to. Now, talking about Team Penske... Ryan Blaney, he was the class of the field. Joey Logano and Paul Wolf, they got that car better and better as the race went on. Brad Keselowski and Jeremy Bollins. I told you Texas is not a great track for Brad Keselowski. It's hit or miss. And oh my God, Sunday, they were definitely missing the setup. There were several points in that race that Brad Keselowski and Jeremy Bollins, they were running outside the top 20. They didn't get any stage points whatsoever. And, you know, after the second stage... Jeremy Bowens, he thought, all right, we need track position. Otherwise, we're going to finish about 14th or 15th today. So let's go with two left side tires. So sure enough, Brad got those two left side tires. They restarted the race. He was able to hold off Blaney and Logano in most of the field. But as he's holding them off, a couple laps after the restart, Ryan Blaney bobbles going through turns four, turn, turn four. Everybody checks up. Then next thing you know, Eric Almarola, he slides down to Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, he slides into Martin Truex Jr., his teammate, and all hell breaks loose. The big one at Texas Motor Speedway. And I'll tell you what, thank God for those safer barriers because Truex, he nailed that wall driver's side really, really hard. I thought his car was killed at that point. So for him to finish that race, albeit in 28th, that's an absolute miracle. But sure enough, taking out several contenders, you know, Martin Truex Jr. was one of them. Chris Buescher in his home track, running well inside the top 10 all day. Cole Custer, one week after your first win, your car gets destroyed. You finish 39th. Kurt Busch was collected in it. William Byron, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he had a decent day going. Ryan Priest, his teammate, that's three races in a row that Ryan has finished last, albeit things out of his control. Bubba Wallace, he got a little bit of damage. He still finished 14th. Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, they still got top five finishes. And when Kyle Busch, when he went through the grass, as we've seen so many times with these race cars, I thought the front end of that car was going to get ripped right off. I thought Kyle was going to go several feet in the air, and his day was going to be over right then and there. And as we all know with these splitters, you know, as soon as as soon as they dig into that grass, it's like a snowplow and it just rips the front end right off of the car. And somehow, some way, Kyle Bush, I do not know how that front end did not get ripped off. Sure enough, he went a couple feet in the air, came back down on his wheels. Sure enough, the, the front grill was covered with grass. And it's like Kyle said in his interview afterwards, I mean, he finished fourth. He finished fourth. And he said, you know, you can't really see the amount of damage that the car really had. And Dave Burns on NBC, he asked them, he said, how did you end up finishing fourth? And Kyle, very confident and cocky, he said, KFB. (laughs) I'm sure we could guess what the F stands for. (laughs) That was priceless. And sure enough, there's a couple KFB shirts that are now coming out. 
you know, love him or hate him, you gotta admit, Kyle Busch, he definitely makes things interesting. <laughs> so, Ryan Blaney, it looked like he had the race in control. The last sequence of green flag pit stops, they start. He makes his final pit stop. Several guys, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, you know, they're staying out there as long as possible, trying to hope for a caution. And going through turns three and four, rookie Quinn Huff tries coming down pit road as his crew calls him the pit road. And he just drives right down into the path of Christopher Bell and Matt Benedetto. And Quinn overcorrects the car and shoots back up, back up the track and ends up hitting the wall. Pretty much ruined Ryan Blaney's chances of winning. Because when that caution flag came out, Denny Hamlin was the first car lap down. Ryan Blaney was a lap down. And Ryan had to take the wave around and get back on the lead lap. And the best he was able to get back up to was seventh. So Ryan's teammate and his mentor, Brad Keselowski, as we all know, Brad is never afraid to speak his mind. And after the race was over, sure enough, it was talked about the Quinn Huff situation. And Brad said, honestly, you know, there's guys that I would love to see make it to the Cup Series on merit, that earn it, that aren't out here because they're a pay driver, you know, that don't get these rides because of the amount of sponsorship dollars that they bring to the table. And let's face it, folks, that, that's the way that the sport has become. You know, it, it, nowadays, it's not necessarily about talent. It's about how much money you can bring to the table. Unfortunately, that's just the way the sport is right now. And Brad said that because of some of these guys being moved up to quick way too quickly, he feels like there should be a demotion system in place. Where, you know, you make mistakes out on the racetrack, like a big one that Quinn Huff made. Like I said, cost Ryan Blaney the win. Cost Christopher Bell on Matt Benedetto potential top 10 finishes on Sunday. You know, he doesn't have many Xfinity starts to his name, Quinn Huff. You know, go to ARCA or Trucks or Xfinity. before Prove to, prove to everyone that you're ready for the Cup Series. And I, I totally agree with Brad Keselowski 110% on that. You know, there are some guys out there that honestly really shouldn't be out there handling a cup car. And don't get me wrong, you know, Quinn Huff seems like a great guy, but at the end of the day, that is one of the slowest cars in the field every single weekend. He's crashed out of four or five races this year. His best finish is 23rd at Talladega and in Indianapolis, two crash-filled races. So what does that tell you? So I agree with, with Brad 100%. And I know a lot of, a lot of fans and drivers and, and crew members, they do as well. So it's one of those things where you honestly worry about the safety of the drivers. You honestly do. And like I said, who knows? You know, maybe, maybe one day, you know, maybe Quinn Huff, he'll improve and get a better opportunity. I mean, we all know the double zero car with, with Derek Hope and Starcom. We all know... It's not really that great of a car, but hell, when Landon Castle was in that car last year, you know, he, he came close to getting several top 20 finishes in that car, which is like a win for them with, with the budget that they have. So, like I said, that's definitely, that was definitely one of the biggest stories of the day at Texas Motor Speedway. So, pretty crazy race, you know, looking back on it, it was, it wasn't really all that exciting early on as expected. You know, Eric Almarola, Ryan Blaney, you know, 
they pretty much ran away with, with it the first half of the race. I think the, the most exciting part about the beginning of the race, without a doubt, was Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> that was an amazing command for a guy that's getting ready to turn 72. I mean, the way that he belted out, drivers start your engines, it was, in my opinion, the best command of the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series season so far. And just all those caution flags, really, more than anything, I think that's what made it a better race and a better finish, in my opinion. You know, after that, after the Quinn Huff wreck, you know, the next thing you know, Denny Hamlin going down in a turn one side by side with Alex Bowman, you know, he got loose, shot up in Alex, and both of them ended up wrecking. And it ended Alex's day right then and there, but, you know, Denny, it looked like he was still able to continue. And then just a few laps later, when they went back to green, you know, he spins coming off a of turn four. And honestly, if he didn't spin coming off a of turn four, myself and a lot of people feel like Tyler Reddick probably would have won that race. Probably would have won that race. And Austin Dillon, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people took the top on the restart. I couldn't even believe that last restart coming to two laps to go, how he took the bottom. And he just did a masterful job holding off Tyler Reddick, Joey Logano, and Kyle Busch for that win, you know. And Austin, I think without a doubt, I think this was definitely the biggest win of his career. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of pit strategy that went into it. But, you know, I feel like leading 22 laps, not, you know, someone running out of gas or hooking someone into the wall. I feel like this is without a doubt was the biggest win of Austin Dillon's career so far. So tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway, the Superstart Batteries 400. As I said, Thursday night NASCAR, the last midweek race of 2020 and NASCAR there will be no race no cup race this coming Sunday now originally they were supposed to have this coming weekend off and the following weekend off because of the Olympics as we all know those have been postponed until 2021 and people are wondering like why are we having a midweek race well you know Fox they had several midweek races the Wednesday night race at Darlington Charlotte turning into a Thursday night race because of the rain, the Wednesday night race at Martinsville, and of course the all-star race at Bristol last Wednesday of last week. So NBC, you know, they wanted to crack at it. They wanted to see what kind of ratings that they could potentially get. I know the ratings that Fox Sports 1 got for those midweek races, you know, they were, they were decent but not great. So 7.30 on NBCSN. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen with the call. And the defending winner of this race is Brad Keselowski. Now, Kevin Harvick drew the pole for tomorrow night's race earlier today. Joey Logano will start second. He has two wins at Kansas Speedway. Both the fall races of 2014 and 2015. Eric Amarola in third tell you what a heartbreaker of a track this has been for Eric Almarola. Ryan Blaney fourth. Martin Trex Jr., who swept both Kansas races in 2017, he will start fifth. Alex Bowman sixth. Brad Keselowski, those were the two that finished one-two in this race last year. Brad Keselowski and Alex Bowman. Alex will start sixth. Brad Keselowski seventh. The Bush brothers, Kyle and Kurt Bush, they will be starting Eighth and ninth, respectively. Kyle does have a Cup Series win here, Mother's Day weekend, 2016. And Denny Hamlin, 
two cup wins at Kansas, one of them being the October race of last year. That is your top 10 starting lineup for tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway. Now, Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick has three wins at Kansas Speedway. October of 2013, his last year driving for Richard Childress Racing. My birthday, October 16th, 2016. Ironically, that was Kevin Harvick's last win in a Chevrolet before they switched over to Ford in 2017. And Kevin won on Mother's Day weekend in 2018. And he is tied with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson for the most Cup Series wins at Kansas Speedway with now, one of the big stories for tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway, Chad Knauss, as we all know, arguably probably the greatest crew chief in NASCAR history, 81 wins, 7 championships, 5 championships in a row with Jimmy Johnson. You know, Chad, he's worked with William Byron ever since the beginning of 2019. He has tried so hard to get William Byron and to get that 24 car back in victory lane. They finished second twice last year, the July race at Daytona, the October race at Martinsville. They have been close several times, but it has been an absolute struggle so far this year. Not a single top five finish. Their best finish seventh at Pocono, the second Pocono race. Chad Knauss will not be on the pit box tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway. It's not because of a lack of performance. It's because of something very, very special. Chad Knauss and his wife, Brooke, they are expecting the birth of their daughter and their second child. They have a son named Kip. So congratulations to Chad and Brooke. And, you know, Chad, you know, I can't fault him one bit for skipping this race. I mean, these are special opportunities, being able to witness the birth of your child. And, you know, Regan Smith, Regan Smith, he skipped the cup race at Chicago in 2016 to go home and to see his daughter be born. And he had Ty Dillon drive his car in that race. And sure enough, his daughter was born while the race was going on. So Keith Rodden, who worked with Casey Kane for a number of years, he was Casey Kane's engineer. He worked with Jamie McMurray a little bit. They won the 2014 All-Star Race together. And sure enough, Keith was Casey Kane's crew chief when he scored the final win of his career in 2017, the Brickyard 400. Keith will be calling the shots for William Byron tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway. And, you know, who knows? Hopefully William Byron can have a good run. He scored the very first Truck Series win of his career at Kansas Speedway in 2016, driving for Kyle Busch. And when he drove in the Xfinity Series there for Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2017, he finished fourth just one month before that championship. And the October race last year at Kansas Speedway, William Byron got a top five finish that day as well. He finished fourth. So Kansas, as we all know, Clint Boyer, native son of Kansas, Emporia, Kansas. We all know how much of a good old boy Clint Boyer is, how much of a hellraiser he is, how much anyone would love to have a beer with this guy. But as we all know with Clint Boyer, the last two years at Stuart Haas Racing, he has had one-year contracts. You know, he had a one-year contract for this year. We all know about the crew changes. You know, he, Mike Buggeravage, they worked together. They won in 2018 at Martinsville in Michigan. But, you know, 
Tony Stewart, Gene Haas, they made some changes. They paired Mike Buggeravage with Eric Almarola because Eric, you know, he's very calm. He's very quiet. Mike, as we all know, he's very animated and emotional. And of course, we know how animated and emotional Clint Boyer is. They paired him with Johnny Klossmeyer. Eric and Johnny, they won the 2018 Fall Race of Talladega together. And obviously, Johnny, he's a very, very low-key guy. And, you know, Clint Boyer and Eric, they both talked about, you know, last year they could sense that there needed to be some sort of change because with their crew chiefs, their personalities were just so much alike. Like I talked about earlier, you know, Austin Dillon, he's fiery, he's emotional. Justin Alexander, he's quiet. That's why they've always been such a good pair for the past three years or so. But Clint Boyer said that he wants to remain at Stuart Haas Racing. He wants to be back there in 2021. He wants to retire there. There has been talk all year long, you know, Clint Boyer, is he going to retire after this season? Is he going to go join NASCAR and Fox and be in the booth with, with Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy? Clint said, like, he wants to he wants to be back at Stuart Haas in 2021, but him, Tony Stewart, Gene Haas, they haven't really sat down and talked about it. They haven't negotiated a contract for 2021. And Clint knows that, you know, the 14 car, they have to, they have to get better. I mean, Kevin Harvick and the four team, they've kicked everyone's butt. Eric Amarola, the 10 team, they have gotten significantly better over the past month. Cole Custer, the 41 team, they had the win at Kentucky Speedway, but obviously this is a very, very steep learning curve this year for Cole Custer. So Clint Boyer, it would be nice to see him in a race car next year, but I think we all know that there's a strong possibility that more than likely Chase Briscoe, I will not be surprised if he is in that 14 car come 2021 especially when Tony Stewart was his childhood hero. So last year in this race, Brad Keselowski, what an incredible night that was. He started fourth on the field, and him and Paul Wolf they struggled badly with that car throughout the night. And at one point, they were making a pit stop halfway through the race, and the right front wheel caught on fire because of all the brake dust that had built up on it. So Brad was having a very, very rough night. He was barely running inside the top 15. And Kevin Harvick was absolutely crushing the field that night. He was in his own zip code. He was in Kansas City, Missouri, because this race is in Kansas City, Kansas. And as I've talked about with the four team, as dominant as they are, they still make mistakes here and there. And about two-thirds of the way through the race... Kevin had to come down pit road. He said he had a loose wheel, and from that point on, his night was shot. He ended up finishing 14th. So from that point on, Alex Bowman was well in control of that race, and it was looking like Alex Bowman was going to score the first win of his career that night at Kansas Speedway, especially with how poorly he started off 2019. Him and Greg Ives, they didn't have a single top 10 finish before the Easter break. They were 21st in points, and they had reeled off two second-place finishes in a row, second at Talladega to Chase Elliott, second to Martin Truex Jr. at Dover. But Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf, as they always did, they went out of the box with their strategy. There was a late caution. They came in. They got tires. Brad wrestled his way up through the field. He caught Alex, and he took away the line that Alex wanted to run. And sure enough, with less than 10 laps to go, Brad blew past Alex going through turns three and four. Caution flag came out. Alex's best friend, Matt DiBenedetto, he blows an engine. The race goes to a green-white checkered. And Brad Keselowski held off Alex Bowman and Eric Jones 
to win at Kansas Speedway. What an incredible night that was. What an incredible race and finish that was. And like Brad Keselowski talked about, the night races last year with the 550 horsepower package, it made for better racing. That Kansas race was absolutely incredible. The Coca-Cola 600 was incredible. The fall race at Las Vegas that kicked off the playoffs. Great racing at night with the 550 horsepower package compared to the daytime when a lot of these races are complete snooze fests. And what an emotional night that was, too, for Brad Keselowski. As we all know, he came up the hard way. He didn't. He pretty much came from nothing. And Bob and Kay Keselowski, his parents, they had their truck team, but they made Brad work for it. They made him work for his place in the sport. And one of the people that Brad drove for early on in his career in the truck series was a guy by the name of Mike Mittler. And Mike Mittler was from... Missouri, and he helped give a break to a lot of drivers that were coming up through the ranks. Jamie McMurray, Carl Edwards, Regan Smith, Brad Keselowski, they all drove for Mike Mittler at one point or another. And sadly, the night before that race at Kansas last May, May of 2019, Mike Mittler passed away after a battle with cancer. He was only 67 years old. And just hearing the emotion in Brad Keselowski's voice that night as he was talking to Matt Yoakum and dedicating the win to Mike Mittler and talking about how he worked his whole life in the garage area and how sad it was to have, for someone to pass away like that. It was pure, genuine emotion from Brad Keselowski. Definitely one of the most emotional interviews you'll ever see. And it was a special night for Brad. It was the 30th win of his career in the Cup Series. And he said, you know, once you reach 30 Cup wins, you feel like then you could begin the conversation of Hall of Fame talk. And it was also a special win because him and Paul Wolf, the dominant duo that those two were, that was their last win together. When they went back to Kansas in October, they blew a 20-point lead over Chase Elliott for the final transfer spot into the round of eight for the playoffs. And from that point on, they struggled the rest of the year. Third at Martinsville, erected Texas, 10th at Phoenix, basically invisible at Miami. That was pretty much, I guess you could say, the beginning of the end for Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf was the Kansas race in October. But how special that their last win together was, was at Kansas in such an amazing night and battle. And Kansas Speedway, it's the second youngest track on the schedule. Its first cup race was in 2001. Just two months after Chicagoland Speedway's first cup race, just 19 days after September 11th. And Jeff Gordon, you know, he won the first two cup races at Kansas Speedway. And in 2011, Kansas was given a second cup race. And that is this particular race that we're going to be running tomorrow night. And the first spring race at Kansas in 2011, Kurt Busch, he dominated that day from the pole. But it all came down to fuel mileage. He had a pit with 10 laps to go. And who inherited the lead? His teammate, Brad Keselowski. And who was the guy that was chasing Brad Keselowski? His mentor and the guy that gave him, gave him his big break, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And what an incredible battle that was, seeing Paul Wolf and Steve Letarte, seeing both of them on that pit box, telling Brad Keselowski, telling Dale Earnhardt Jr., lift at this corner, I need you to save this much gas. And as that last lap began, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was flying. And Mike Joy even said it on the broadcast, he said, Earnhardt's coming. 
And, you know, Joey Meyer, he pretty much told Brad, you can kick the clutch in, you're, you're going to, you can coast, you're going to beat him to the finish line anyway. But if that race would have been one lap longer, Dale Earnhardt Jr. probably would have gotten Brad Keselowski. And how crazy, talk about bookends. Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf, their first win together was the spring 2011 race at Kansas Speedway, beating the 88 car of Dale Earnhardt Jr., their last win together, the spring 2019 race at Kansas Speedway, beating the 88 car of Alex Bowman. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. The 2012 spring race, Martin Trex Jr., it had been five years since the only cup win of his career at that point, Dover, and he was dominating the field. It was in late April. It was cold. It was windy. It was in the 50s that day at Kansas. And I remember I was watching that race with none other than Sean Rosansky. And when I was in 10th grade, I had a goatee. And when I had a goatee, people told me all the time, dude, you look like Martin Trex Jr. And at one point, me and Sean, we're watching that race together. And Sean says, you know, he said, if Trex wins this race, you've got to bring the goatee back. (laughs) Leave it up to Sean. But... The sun came out at Kansas. Truex's car kept getting looser and looser and looser. Denny Hamlin, he hunted Truex down, and he passed him with less than 10 laps to go for the win. 2013, another cold Kansas race in April. Matt Kenseth, his first year at Joe Gibbs Racing, beating Casey Kane to the line. And after the race was over, NASCAR found some problems with Matt Kenseth's engine. And he was penalized quite an amount of points. Jason Ratcliffe was suspended, his crew chief. And then the following year, Kevin Harvick, his first year at Stewart Haas Racing, he's out there dominating. They have problems on pit road. Jeff Gordon inherits the lead, and Kevin Harvick is flying those last few laps, trying to hunt down Jeff Gordon, and he was within a car length of Jeff when they took the checkered flag. So once again, one more lap, Kevin Harvick would have gotten him. 2015, Jimmy Johnson in the SpongeBob SquarePants 400. My dad hated Hated the title of that race. (laughs) Jimmy Johnson at 1 o'clock in the morning, holding off Kevin Harvick and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in a pretty amazing finish. That was awesome. Kyle Busch finally breaking through at Kansas in 2016. Without a doubt, the worst moment of the spring race at Kansas Speedway. It was definitely 2017. And Joey Logano, he goes off in the corner. His brakes failed. And... There wasn't anything that he could do. The left front brake rotor exploded. He hit Danica Patrick in the right rear quarter panel. They both hit the wall really, really hard. And Eric Almirola came in a few seconds later and almost hit Joey in the door. And Eric's car went up in the air, came back down on its wheels, and Eric immediately came over the radio and was saying that his back was bothering him, that he was hurt. And Eric had to miss two months of racing. Two months of racing, almost, almost could have been paralyzed in that accident and what annoyed me was you know I know I'm critical of Joey Logano but you could just see the look of concern on Joey's face when they interviewed him talking about how worried he was about Eric Amarola and Danica Patrick comes out of the care center and was like oh I can't believe the luck that I'm having this year like really really Eric Amarola is on his way to the hospital and you're you're throwing a pity party about you know tearing up another race car Seriously. 2018, Martin Trex Jr. going for three wins in a row at Kansas Speedway. The race goes into overtime, and Kevin Harvick, Mr. Where Did He Come From, 
the closer, another nickname that they have for him, passing Martin Trex Jr. on the outside with just two laps to go. Once again, Kevin Harvick, there is no driver that is more clutch when it comes to the end of a race and passing someone, especially when there's less than five laps to go. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. We have four races this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Tomorrow night, the Cup Series race. And then the Truck Series doubleheader. We have the first Truck Series race Friday night, 7.30. Christian Eckes on the pole. The second Truck Series race Saturday at 1.30 on Fox Sports 1. And then the Xfinity race Saturday at 5 o'clock on NBCSN. Michael Annette, he drew the pole for the second Xfinity race in a row. So for the two truck races, for the first truck race Friday night, I'm going to go with Christian Eckes scoring the first win of his career for Kyle Busch Motorsports at Kansas Speedway, just like William Byron did in 2016. For the second Truck Series race on Saturday, I'm going to go with Grant Enfinger. Two wins already this season. Daytona, the season opener, and Atlanta, the beginning of June. I say that Grant Enfinger gets his third Truck Series win of the season on Saturday afternoon. And for the Xfinity race, late Saturday afternoon, I am going to go with none other than Chase Briscoe. Chase led a bunch of laps in the lone Xfinity race at Kansas last year. His teammate Cole Custer, he led almost half the race from the pole. Of course, we all know about the fight that he got in with Tyler Reddick after the race was over. So Christian Eckes, Grant Enfinger, Chase Briscoe, those are my picks for the support series races this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Now, the moment y'all have been waiting for. Who am I picking to go to Victory Lane tomorrow night in the Superstart Batteries 400 at Kansas Speedway? So, as I talked about, this guy has made some history already this year. And I feel like he is going to make even more history tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway. So, this guy is tied with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson for the most Cup Series wins at Kansas Speedway with three. This guy is starting on the pole. And all three of his cup wins at Kansas Speedway, two out of his three cup wins at Kansas Speedway, they came when he started on the pole. That's right. Kevin Harvick is my pick to go to Victory Lane tomorrow night at Kansas Speedway, becoming the all-time wins leader in the Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. Kansas win number four for the driver of the number four. And once again, Kevin Harvick and Bush Beer putting out an amazing paint scheme once again. They have not disappointed with their paint schemes this year. You know, when he won at Darlington, Bush Light, they had, you know, a contest, you can get your face on the car. They had the corn paint scheme for, for the farmers when he won in Atlanta. That beautiful Bush Mountains car, that dark blue, light blue and, and white car that he had when he finally won Pocono. And of course, the beautiful beautiful bush light patriotic car when he won at indianapolis motor speedway red white and blue and fireworks tomorrow night kevin harvick has bush light apple bush light apple on his car and it is like a dark candy apple red it almost kind of reminds you of him and dale earnhardt jr it almost reminds you of the budweiser paint schemes from back in the day so 
it seems like that's the race in the hole. These special paint schemes from Bush Beer. <laughs> it seems like that is the key to Kevin Harvick getting a victory lane this year. As much as I love that that black and silver Mobile One car, it seems like they only win when they have a special Bush Light paint scheme on the car. So if Kevin Harvick wins tomorrow night, like I said, he becomes the all-time wins leader in the Cup Series at Kansas Speedway with four wins. And if he wins tomorrow night, he ties another NASCAR Hall of Famer for 11th on the all-time wins list. He would tie Lee Petty, Richard's father, for 54 wins in the NASCAR Cup Series. And he would be behind Rusty Wallace, 55 wins. And only two behind one of his good old rivals and arch enemies back in the day, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch right now is stuck on 56 wins in the NASCAR Cup Series. And then, of course, after Kyle Busch... On the all-time wins list, Dale Earnhardt Sr., 76 wins. It's incredible to think that Kevin Harvick, like I've talked about before, 10 years ago, the beginning of the 2010 season, he only had 11 wins to his name. And tomorrow night, if he wins, he could be tied for 11th on the all-time wins list with 54 wins. And speaking of Kevin Harvick, speaking of Clint Boyer, Clint Boyer, as we all know, he is a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. Kansas City, they won the Super Bowl back in February. And, of course, Clint had some epic content on his Twitter page <laughs> celebrating afterwards. Kevin Harvick, he has always been a San Francisco 49ers fan. Sure enough, that's who Kansas City beat in the Super Bowl. Anyway, the Grand Marshal for tomorrow night's race, Kansas City Chiefs. It's not Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> it is... Their defensive tackle, Chris Jones, he will give the command to start engines. Chris is a big NASCAR fan. So there you go. Kevin Harvick, my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow night in the Superstart Batteries 400 at Kansas Speedway. Once again, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for liking the Facebook page, Jake's Take Podcast. Be sure to tell your friends about it. I appreciate all of your support. Hope you guys have a great night. Enjoy the race tomorrow. Y'all take it easy.